Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is sync licensing expert Chris SD. But let's start here. You may have noticed that Latin music, African music, and K-pop are now topping the charts in the United States and everywhere else and attracting international fans. But did you know that the corporate industry dynamics really has changed as well and they've gone global? Chinese and Saudi money now power music. For instance, the Chinese company Tencent has equity stakes in Universal Music, Warner Music, Spotify, and Epic Games. The Chinese company ByteDance owns TikTok and now TikTok Music, and that company is worth $265 billion. Now, both of these companies are at least influenced and in some cases controlled by the Chinese government. Now, let's get to the Saudis. Their sovereign wealth fund owns equity in Live Nation, Liberty Media, Vanguard Group, and the South Korean giant KO Entertainment and Games, and the streaming network Deezer. Plus, they plan to build 30 music venues by 2030. So there's a lot of political and commercial influence going on from outside the United States. Inside the United States, private equity companies are getting more and more involved in the music scene. For instance... Private equity companies now own both BMI and CSEC, and they have stakes in rights management companies like Hypnosis and E1 Music. When it comes to creator tools, and especially online creator tools, private equity company Francisco Partners owns Cobalt, Native Instruments, and Eventbrite. Goldman Sachs, you probably know or heard of, owns Splice and Fever. And Caldecott Music Group owns BandLab and Reverb Nation, and the CEO of Caldecott is a member of Malaysia's richest family. This all goes to show that our industry is no longer small and overlooked. It's global, and much of it's owned by companies outside the United States and outside the music industry. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that my new Musician's AI Handbook is now available. It's packed with information about how AI can help you with new song, lyric, mixing, and mastering ideas, as well as music marketing to help you get your music to the audience that you deserve. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. That's rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Now, as we come up to Winter Nam, many musical instrument and pro audio companies are suffering from a glut of inventory thanks to some lingering supply chain issues left over from the pandemic. Consumers are shifting their spending away from music goods. Inflation and rising interest rates are taking a bite out of discretionary income. And there are fewer popular instrumental performers than ever before. Then you have the fears that AI will end music as we know it. The thing is, we've seen this picture before. Way back in 1984, there were double-digit interest rates that made financing inventory next to impossible, and that led to over a 1,000 music retailers closing. The guitar market was at a 25-year low in sales, and Martin Guitars produced less than 4,000 guitars in 1993, and Fender and Gibson were both heavily in the red because of slumping supply and some quality problems and low-cost Japanese competitors. Then there was declining school enrollments that took a toll on the school music business with 
manufacturers like Kahn and King Brass and Armstrong Flutes on the brink of bankruptcy. The home organ business, which was huge at the time and accounted for about 25% of total revenues, was imploding. And then you had the management at CBS that owned Fender and Steinway and Branson Organ, and Norlin, that was the parent company at the time of Gibson, Lowry, and Olds Brass, went on record proclaiming that the music industry was dead. So what happened? At NAM in 1994, the MIDI standard had just been implemented, and all of a sudden, everyone saw what the capabilities of electronic musical instruments could be. Yamaha created an entirely new digital piano market with the introduction of the Clavinova, and Tascam and Fostex came out with multi-track cassette recorders that all of a sudden gave musicians the ability to personally record at home. On top of that, digital design started the movement to unlock the musical potential of the personal computer. So we come to today, and it turns out that the industry is a lot healthier than many think. For instance, Ultimate Guitar reported 300 million tablature downloads last year. Online music marketplace Reverb.com draws an estimated 10 million unique viewers each month. Still, you have all those that say that AI is threatening music creators and that the industry will change forever. Just remember that people said that the player piano would lead to the end of musicianship. And then the American Federation of Musicians was so convinced that drum machines were going to put musicians out of work that it started protests and boycotts. More recently, DJs were said to be the end of music as we know it. Yet none of these dire predictions ever materialized. The fact of the matter is, they all helped the music industry grow. And that's what's going to happen with AI as well. I'm really looking forward to this year's NAM to see how manufacturers are incorporating it and I bet there'll be a lot of surprises that we'll all embrace down the line. My guest this week specializes in helping musicians and songwriters get their music into film and television. Chris S.D. started off as an award-winning music producer who saw how lucrative the income could be for artists with just one good sync placement. Chris not only teaches indie songwriters how to get their music heard by top music supervisors in film and television, but he also introduces them to the gatekeepers as well. During the interview, we spoke about how the recent Hollywood strikes affected sync placements, how artists and songwriters can rise above the competition for placements, how to determine if your music is right for TV and film, his upcoming Music Supervisors panel event, and much more. I spoke with Chris from his studio in Tennessee. We talked last year and most of what we talked about was how everything was coming out of COVID and, and how it changed the business. Now that we're out and things are somewhat back to normal, have you noticed anything in sync having changed? Yeah, honestly, Bobby, I haven't noticed much change at all in the sync world whatsoever. It was like a pause, sort of riding a bus, getting off a bus, waiting for a transfer <laughs> back on the bus. Uh, everything's pretty much back to normal. All cylinders are firing. Uh, there was a great opportunity in there for uh, indie artists, you know, uh, to meet supervisors more easily because they had some, um, you know, downtime during COVID and all this other stuff. Um, and it was, of course, a tough time for everybody. But musicians got a chance to um, work on music and supervisors got a chance to check out new music. And uh, so that was that was really cool. But there's been no, yeah, I, not really a, a change um, at all that I've noticed. Okay, so then we had the strike, and that stopped production, most of it anyway. 
Tell me about that. So how did that affect sync and what you're doing? Yeah. So interesting thing about the strike is that they're, they're cyclical, right? They, they sort of happen every, <laughs> they're kind of on a regular frequency. And if you look back in like Wikipedia or something, you see the strikes, it's like, oh yeah, they kind of every so-and-so years, they always have a, tend to have a strike and, you know, demands and things. So it was another one of those and it lasted longer than everybody thought it would. And it got, you know, pretty involved with then the actors going out and, and, and everything. Um, it's where things are back to normal, kind of like just, you know, COVID coming and going during that period and, and the strike and everything's kind of just running along. Now there's some playing catch up for sure. Uh, people are, are playing catch up. It didn't really affect uh, what I do at all because the supervisors, uh, one thing important to remember is that the strike was only in the US and I work with supervisors in Europe and as well as in Canada. So there were a lot of opportunities going on all, the whole time. And the supervisors, even, the, you know, I work with top supervisors, not sort of intermediate ones, but the very top ones. And usually they've always got something on the go. So it may not have been the five, six, seven, eight shows that they normally work on at the same time. It might, it might have been whittled down to two or three, uh, but there was there were things there. So it, it was certainly slower, but again, took that uh, golden opportunity to talk to my members uh, from Sync Songwriter saying, this is a perfect time to be meeting them. They've got more downtime. So within our sort of ecosystem within Sync Songwriter, I was doing a lot more introducing our members to supervisors and hanging out and and uh, getting those relationships going. And it was it was really a, a great um, time. You know, it's sort of like making lemonade out of lemons. You know, when life changes, there's always an opportunity. You just got to identify what that thing is, whether the stock market goes up or whether it goes down. There's if it's changing, there's always opportunities. It's 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 important to be able to identify what those are. I live in Burbank, so I was right in the middle of the strike. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, no I'm kidding. One, one block away from Warner Ranch and a mile away from Warner Brothers, and I can go the other way, and, and it's uh, you know Universal and DreamWorks. And so I saw the picket lines and you know the strikers and all that stuff. And what's interesting is as soon as everything ended, it was assumed that there would be, mm, I guess, you know, everybody going back to work really fast. And it really hasn't happened. And the reason why I know that is my neighbor is a supervisor. She's a uh, construction supervisor. She went back to work like three weeks ago. And I was talking to her the other day and she said, we're on one show, but nobody else is back yet. And all these people are calling me for work. They still haven't gone back. I look at that and I think, okay, I know things are back on one level and on another level, they're not. You know, the actual production level, the down and dirty production level, they're not quite yet. I mean, you know, just as a little caveat, I mean, it could be, it's just her, you know, and, and their situation uh, with whoever they're employed with. Uh, I know that our the supervisors are just back to being busy. But, you know, what happened was they are playing catch up now, right? With a lot of, a lot of things. So they've got stuff in the, in the pipe basically to, to work on. Um, it, I would be curious to hear that. I would be surprised if Holly, cause I'm, I'm assuming Hollywood just wants to start making money and get back to business. And so, uh, I, I'd be surprised if they weren't cracking the whip, trying to make, you know, let's get these things rolling, you know, type now, of thing. Now I'll give you another example of, like I said, I'm a block away from Warner Ranch and Warner Ranch is a full city block of production facilities where they do mostly television. And they're known for like 
the Friends Fountain was there, and uh, Gilligan's Island was there, and and all that. You know, so a lot of history. Just about the day the strike ended, construction crews came in. All the buildings went down. All the sets went down. Everything. It's an empty lot right now. So you think, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to build 16 new stages. And the reason why is there's not enough stages in Hollywood. Meaning production. They can't support the production just, you know, right here, which is why it was going in other places. One of the reasons besides price. So that kind of contradicts what your neighbor's saying then. It sounds like there's more productions they can't support. They got to build more. Is that... Is well, that the deal? Well, what she's saying is they're not back to work yet. Not that they're not, that's not going to happen. It's just that it hasn't happened as quickly as everyone thought. Now, that being said, before the strike, they ran out of production space. Yeah. There's so much going on. And there were stages there, but I think there were only four or six, and now there's going to be 16. So that's, that's a lot more work. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, any industry, well, let's just draw the circle much bigger life, you know? Life, we all have our routines. We all have kind of what we do sort of day to day. And uh, T.S. Eliot, I think, said in one poem, you know, measuring the days out with a coffee spoon. But you know, life changes. All these things will just come and happen, you know? Yeah. And it could be whether you move somewhere new, get a new job, you try something else, you meet somebody, uh, you fall in love, you, you know, whatever. Your life is just going to change. And that's the way it goes. And really, the essence of it doesn't really change for most people. Obviously, there's some people that, you know, it changes radically for, unfortunately, it's due to tragedy or maybe some massive windfall. Most of us, um, the the essence changes. It's like, it's like a change of clothes and we continue on the same person. And, you know, though we're not doing exactly the same thing, we are in relationship to the world in the same. And I look at that the same way in, in sync licensing is that Sync licensing is always changing. It's always dynamic. Things are always, you know, it used to be just composers and then indie music became a thing. Now we're talking about, uh, you know, what role is AI going to play in that eventually? And and so on. So it's, there's all of these, these things that change. The trick is adapting. And as my wife said, you know, uh, people that worked on uh, trains, they just had to adapt and start working on planes, you know? And, uh, but we're all still traveling and we're all doing the same sort of things when it comes to, you know, transport and stuff. And people get bored sitting on a jet airplane now if they have to fly more than five hours, which was a miracle you know, like yeah. 80 years ago. And so uh, it, you know, I, it's just adapting and, and so on. So all that's to say, to sort of conclude my, my thinking here is that as much as, you know, strikes will happen and different things are going to change and different things are going to move, as long as you can move with it and adapt to it, uh, you can retain your relationship to it in the same way that you retain your relationship to life in general. Okay. Well, speaking of which and, and how things are changing and adapting, uh, tell me how Sync Songwriter has changed over the years. You, you mentioned before that you're going to have some new changes coming up. So fill me in on, on how it's evolved. Yeah. So, you know, overall, the one big thing that, that's happened since we've been doing this since 2016 and uh, we've gradually sort of grown. We've always had a, you know, the idea of that we wanted to sort of bypass libraries and agents. Uh, the, you know, I saw a lot of musicians, and especially it occurred to me when I started working on records for indie artists, and they go out and say, you know, we can put our, our album in a library or like get a sync agent. 
And then we can like do something with the record. And I get excited because I put my blood, sweat and tears into it. And I'd say, great, that's this, what's the sync thing? You know, this is way back. And so they, uh, they would do this and then like nothing would happen. It's sort of like putting your record out on social, you know, like, hey, check out my record. And it just, not much goes on unless you promote and learn some techniques and all that for that. So I realized that it was about connecting with the people that mattered. And in my being an engineer, you know, you and I share that we a lot. I was mainly a producer and so much of it had to do with the relationships, you know? So I was working with a major label because the major label knew me, trusted me, we'd hang out and they knew what I was good at. And I was an easy phone call, you know? So there was that whole thing. And we uh, started to do that. And, and really the biggest change is, is the growth. Like we've just grown so much in, in you know, 2016 is, is like, you know, seven years ago. And uh, it seems, it's starting to seem a little long, like a long time, but the amount of change that we made along the way was, was about growth. We didn't really change our, our mission. One big thing we did notice was uh, when we started out, when we we're doing this, there weren't many sort of um, people out there sort of doing what we were doing. There were some, but but not very many. You can count them on one hand, really. Now there's a plethora of people offering sync advice and this and that and, you know, and, and all of that. And we also have, uh, uh, you know, imitators, people who, who, you know, we notice it because it comes right out of our, our copy. They just take our words and put it in theirs and kind of try to imitate what we're doing. They come and go because it's really about um, the relationships. It's not about the the shiny stuff, you know, but we've always just stuck to what we do and, and we've grown. And, and the one thing that's been amazing is we have an incredible number of sync licensing results. We just get a lot of songs for our members into TV and film. And that's always been the goal. And we get better and better at, at doing that all the time and introducing our members to the supervisors and keep growing that, that, you know, number of supervisors that we, that we work with. Um, and it, it's turned into, uh, it's been a huge, um, boon to indie artists, which has been fantastic. You know, you mentioned there's a lot of imitators and a lot of, a lot more competition in your space offering advice on how to do it, but there's also a lot more competition just from the standpoint that now everybody wants to do that. Every musician, every songwriter, every band. So because of the general awareness, oh, this is another way to make money that I wasn't aware of maybe 10 years ago and I am now. Yeah. So how do you deal with that and the fact that there'd be some people who just say, why should I bother since there's so much competition? I don't have a chance anyway. Yeah. So it's the same uh, reason, I guess we can equate that to what I was just saying. There's a lot of, you know, in our in our area, there's a lot of people that have sort of come and gone, uh, you know, who who wanted to start, see what we were doing and wanted to, to do something. But if you don't have the foundation, if you don't have, if you're not getting the results, it doesn't really last long, you know? And so we never look at it like competition. We just do what we do and try to keep doing better. We don't really sort of look around too much. We're aware of what's going on, but we don't, we don't really adapt or think about it too much. We just do what we do and get better at what we do. And in a musician, in the same way, when they're looking at it and saying it's so daunting because here's the reality. There are millions of tracks out there, millions. There are libraries, like a single library can have millions of tracks, right? I know one has 4 million tracks in it. And then you start thinking about you're one of 4 million tracks, or let's say you've got 10 songs in there, 
Does that change the odds much? Not really. It's like buying a lottery ticket. It's like buying 10 lottery tickets for a billion dollar prize. You know, you're still, still a drop in the ocean. So when you look at it that way and you start saying, well, man, you know, I, I, one sort of analogy I like to use is to say that what are the odds of us going to the moon on a moon mission, right? There maybe build a moon base up there and be pretty cool to be able to take a trip early on before, you know, it's open to everybody. What are the odds of you and I going? Bobby, it's like probably like one in 8 billion or whatever the population of the earth is, you know, mm -hmm. at least for me. I mean, I don't know. I'm just like everyone else. I have no qualifications that are any better than anybody else. So when I look at that, I think, well, my odds of doing that are super low. So I'm not going to, you know, not going to spend any time thinking about it. What if I was a pilot and I went and got trained by NASA to be an astronaut? What are my odds now? You know, I'm rubbing shoulders with the right people. I'm in the right spot. I'm qualified. You know, it's like your odds are infinitely, infinitely higher. It's like saying, what does it take to hit a home run in the World Series? You got to play in the World Series. So that's the trick. You know, I can never guarantee people sync placements. I, I never say uh, there's a magic button or, you know, I, I can just make it happen to you because I don't know anybody that can. And all my music supervisor friends tell me the same thing to me. They're like, Hey, Chris, you know, I, I, I'm pitching a lot of the music from your members, but, uh, you know, I can't, we can't guarantee sync place. And I'm like, of course I know that that's, that's, that's fine. But we're in the world series. Like we're, we're actually playing with the right people. We're, we're in that, that thing. So that is the trick. So it's not so much looking at everybody out there and saying, I'm one person in that group. It's about working smarter and not harder. It's about learning how to get those relationships, how to, how to connect with the right people how to get your music ready for sync and all of that. And that's what I do. So I can't work with everybody, but um, you know, we're, we're doing this uh, music supervisor panel, the sync songwriter music supervisor panel. We do it every year. We have thousands of musicians show up to it. I can't work with the thousands of musicians that come out there, but the ones that know that they really are like, yes, I want to get the same results that a bunch of other people have gotten that I've worked with and they want to work with me we find a way to do that and they get into a, a much smaller group and then they get trained like an astronaut they get they get and they get actually connected directly to the gatekeepers and that is where the magic is and that's how you can do it smart and you know working smarter and not harder but isn't it true that so much of this is kind of the luck of the draw because you never know how your music is going to fit or where it's going to fit so it's like you can have something that that you wrote that you would never expect would be perfect for you know a particular show, and yet there may be a music supervisor that will think ah, this is awesome, or vice versa. Yeah. So if you went on a holiday somewhere uh, to some city that you had no interest in going to at the beginning, whatever, just some city picked by random somewhere in the world, and you wanted to go have a nice time at a restaurant or a bar. Say you want to pick a bar for fun. You know, you just want to go there and have a, have a beer and have a nice time or whatever. If you walked around that city, you'd see a lot of bars. There's be a lot of them. And they wouldn't all be the same. They, there'd be like dive bars and fancy bars and dance bars and this, all these different kinds of bars are all appealing to their own niche because a city is full of all kinds of different people. So it's the same thing in sync licensing is that the sync world is full of different opportunities. Like they're the bars in the city that need music, they need patrons, they need people to come in to, to, you know, to exist. So there's shows that, I mean, people get meditation music placed, people get uh, Korean hip hop placed, 
And so it doesn't mean, it means like if you're in a hip hop, pop, country, or rock, those are the big kind of four, those are the big pillars of what gets placed most. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to get a placement if you're outside of that, because it just means that you can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. So a lot of musicians, when they think like, will my music fit in into sync? There's a home for almost any song, as long as it's well-written and well-produced. And it doesn't have to be produced like everything you hear on the radio. It just has to be above the bar that gets into TV and film. And uh, it's not that difficult. That's one of the things we teach. And I know you and I have, have worked together a little bit. And, uh, you know, you've, you've helped our members too, which has been fantastic uh, with mixing and things like that. And getting great vocals and, and all the things you're a genius at. So ultimately what it comes down to is figuring out if your music is decent enough to get into, you know, TV and film. And if not, I help you work on it too. And then it's about finding the home for the music that you have. It means don't do a shotgun approach. Don't throw the spaghetti against the wall. I teach you how to target for the infinite number of shows, streaming, cable, satellite, YouTube's even doing stuff. Like just so many things going on out there. So many opportunities. It just comes down to finding the right, you know, show, movie, or ad for your stuff. And then who works on that? And then going after them. Is that a guarantee you're going to get a sync? Heck no. But you've taken it all and narrowed it way, 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 way down and they're also listening to your music. And if it doesn't hit the first time, you know, a lot of times what happens within our my ecosystem is the supervisors are telling our members, I love this. I can't use it right now. Do you have anything else? Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I do. Can you send that to me? I can. And that, you know, when that process keeps going, eventually your things start to work out, whether you're getting your, your, your music pitched, shopped, uh, or you're landing big sync deals. It, it you know you're in the right spot and you're doing it and you're doing it right. So it's about having a roadmap and a series of steps to do it the right way. And that's essentially the the big kind of secret of it, which is not a big secret. You know, it's just um, again working smarter, not harder. Okay, so we're talking about songs here with the vocal. If you have members that just do instrumental music, isn't that more or less uh, then categorized as as production music? Is there a difference? There is, and there's there's a line uh, with instrumental music. So essentially, if you're doing things like soundscapey, more nebulous kind of uh, you know vibe stuff, where there's not a real structure to it, you're better off trying to write cues, or you might even be better off in a library. But it's got to be a good library, you know, something that's that's going to be decent, and you're still it's still going to be a lottery for you. Um, but it's supervisors have a harder time using just sort of soundscape stuff. If I was doing something like that, I would be trying to work more as a composer. I'd be trying to think like, wow, I love adding really cool sounds and soundscapes behind visual. Uh, get hired on so that you're there and you're writing to picture. So you're actually writing to the scene and you're creating it so that it fits with the scene. You're not just kind of putting out an instrumental part. So that is, you know, you can still get supervisors interested in those things. But where the line is, if you do instrumentals that are more structured like a song, you know, where they've got parts and motifs and melodies and there's edit points, right? So, you know, in songs, the beautiful part is you have like an intro, you have a verse, you have a pre-chorus and a chorus. Those are all spots that editors can use to cut the song, right? And when you have something more soundscapey, it's more difficult, right? Unless you shape it for that specific thing. And so if you write instrumentals that are more structured and so on, 
you can uh, absolutely get uh, supervisors interested because the thing not a lot of people know is that music supervisors tend to use, or the editors and so on in, in the show, they tend to use a lot of instrumental parts of the actual song. So when you submit your music, you're submitting your song with your vocal, and then they can use that in whatever part where they, they can have a vocal. But in parts where they don't want the vocal getting in the way of the dialogue of the actors, you'll have your instrumental part. So a typical use might be, you know, say a scene in a park, you know, at night in the winter and a couple sitting on a bench, I'm just making this up as I go. And they're talking away and it's, you know, it's a, it's a particular poignant scene and they've got your song underneath there. It's probably going to be an instrumental part if they're talking. Then, you know, maybe it's a, all of a sudden it's a wide shot, crane shot. One of them gets up and walks down away down a path under a, a street lamp and the other one stays, you know, sitting on the bench. And then your vocal comes in seamlessly. So they, they cut seamlessly between the instrumental and then they go into your vocal. And your vocal, you sing whatever line that it means the most, you know, the line that defines what's going on. Yeah, the most applies to the, the scene, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so essentially that is a, a typical use of if they were going to use both. So instrumentalists can do it if they tend to write in, in structure. Okay, so now AI is so big, and I just did a deep dive on it with a book that I released. So I, I have my arms around a lot of this, and I have some opinions about how this is going to work in sync. You tell me, what's been the influence of AI so far? Uh, so far has been like the, uh, you know, we know a new day is going to come at some point, and there's a glow on the horizon, uh, but the sun's not up yet. So... You know, we don't know how soon it's going to come up. We don't, let's pretend we don't know what planet we're on. It could take a year for the sun to rise, depending on how the planet moves through space um, and so on. But we just don't know. And, and one of the things that's important to remember is that it's always good to prepare for things for sure. And it's good to be aware and educate yourself. And I know you've definitely done a lot of deep diving into AI for music, which is fantastic. But um, one thing that's really important to also remember is that mostly humans are uh, optimistic, overly optimistic. We, and we're built that way, I think, for survival. You know, you, you um, end up in a life-threatening situation that is largely impossible to get out of. You still try. And a lot of people try or try to achieve things that seem difficult. And it kind of gets you through because you realize, wow, that was way harder than I thought. But here I am at the other side because of this crazy faith I had in, in what I was doing. So we tend to be like that. And, and the proof of that is, is if we look back at um, the dot-com bubble, you know, where everyone thought the internet was going to change the world. Well, in the 90s, they were all talking about it. And did it change the world? Heck yeah, it did. It totally changed the world. Did it change the world overnight? No, it did not. And that's what everybody was betting on. They were like trying to like they invest, invest, and they realized oh, it's not moving as fast. They've been talking about self-driving cars uh, being ubiquitous for years now. There's still a lot out there. The best we've got is Tesla, you know, and now they've, now they got a recall and they got to work on their thing too. Um, all the sci-fi movies that I've watched recently, um, they all have these dates that they put on during the production, like Blade Runner and Star Wars and not Star Wars, sorry. Um, uh, trying to think of other ones like Terminator maybe. Yeah. And those dates are past, you know, and books and stuff. They, they, they just overly optimistic and back to the future had the flying car at the end going off. In whatever year that was, 2018, or yeah. I can't remember. Like, yeah, no, we don't have those yet. So, all of that to say is that those words that uh, Tom Cruise's character Maverick ring in my ear. You know, like uh, when the guy's trying to fire him. You know, saying robots are going to take over, and 
pilots are obsolete and you're old and you're going to be, you know, nothing. And he just turns to me and said, might be, sir, but not today. And so I really encourage musicians to not stress about it, not worry about it. Use AI as a tool for what it's good at. It's particularly good at helping you be inspired. I've experimented with it in different ways. It's not very good at coming up with final products and things yet. And they tend to be misguided or very generic, weird sounding um, lyrics and stuff like that. But it's it's like a way better version of the magnets on your fridge. If you're trying to come up with lyric ideas or like, you know, writers and so on, it's fantastic at that. It's like a little, you know, guru for like getting questions answered and all that, those things. In terms of music, I, I, I believe AI will eventually, um, you know, at least take over most everything that we do. Um, but in the end, remember that we can coexist with a lot of those tools. I'm not talking terminators here. I'm talking um, about like when AI becomes better than humans at certain things. And an example of that is that, uh, you know, the greatest chess player in the world, uh, Carlson, Magnus Carlson, I think his name is something like that. And uh, he can still hold a crowd at a chess game that will watch him play, even though a computer can beat him yeah. every time. You know, no one cares. They, they're they like, we love to see him play other humans. And uh, that's still still a thing. It, it didn't, didn't mean that the uh, the Chinese uh, game Go disappeared, you know? It, it, when the computer started winning, it's like, no. You know, you can, you can coexist with that. So music, it might come down to, in the old days, if you remember when digital came out, everyone was putting, uh, like, made analog, you know, made, produced with analog and all that stuff. And you could, you know, people still buy vinyl nowadays and they don't want digital. There's always going to be a place for human written songs. And it's going to take a little while for the feeling, the actual authenticity that is uh, the human spirit to be captured by AI. And uh, it'll it'll be able to produce production music probably pretty quickly. But even nowadays, production music is not that moving uh, a lot of the time. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's just processed. And that's why indie music is so valuable to music supervisors because it's authentic and it's real, which is what they need on the screen for the emotion of the scene. Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts, that AI is good and the, the big threat is to production music because it is good at that. I'm good at mm, kind of like being bland. And, <laughs> right. And a, a lot of production <laughs> music is kind of what you want because you don't want it to call attention to itself. It's just in the background that, that's, you know, adding some motion to everything and, yeah. and it's very subliminal. So AI is very good at that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Even so, it's not as quick and easy to do as everyone thinks. So the general thought is, oh, I, all I have to do is, you know, type in, this is what I want, blah, blah, blah. And it'll pop it right out. Mm, no, it doesn't work that way. No. Yeah. You know, when Siri came out on the iPhone, I was super excited. I was like, this is the dawn of the new era. You know, Siri's going to do all this stuff for me. I just have to ask her and she's going to come up with all these things. And I was like, can't do that. Can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. It just came out. Give it, give it a month or two. Well, that was how many years ago now? And I feel like Siri's just not, you know, much, much more than she was in the beginning. So I, and that's fine. And, and you know, things like that will get better and better, but you know, it's just important to remember that things just take longer. You know, cures for cancer were around the corner 20 years ago. And so it's just the way it goes. And, you know, just keep doing what you do. Don't stress stress about it. Live your life the way you see it happening now with an eye on the future, but don't obsess about it. So there's a new sync songwriter class that's going to be starting soon. 
and you're going to start off with the music supervisors panel. So tell us about that. Yeah. So what I love to do is not to be just the person out here. Like I am on this podcast, you know, I'm sitting here, the listeners are basically listening to this and I'm the, I'm this guy, Chris, you may not know me. And uh, somehow I've got to be this authority on, on sync. I know a lot about it and I've gotten a lot of very, like a lot, a lot of music into TV and film for members. But the bottom line is that you as a listener would be much more interested in hearing from the actual people who do it, you know, and I don't want to pretend to be everything to everybody. And it's about, it's about your success. It's about getting your music into TV and film. Who are the people that do that? The music supervisors. So the sync panel, I do this, the sync songwriter, music, super, sync songwriter, music supervisor panel, we do that every year. And I just want people to be able to come out to that. Musicians, songwriters, composers, instrumentalists, and come out, it's an hour long, and just come out and hang out with a collection of top music supervisors. These are people who work on the very, very top shows, movies, and ads. You get to come there and hear them talk about why they use indie music and what they're looking for, like right now, what, what kind of songs are they looking for? So then you know that, right? You know, wow, those people are looking for something like from me. You get to know what makes them tick. You get to hear how they pick music. You get to hear the pitfalls, like when they reject music and you never hear about it, you want to know what that is. You yeah. don't want to be sending your music off for years and not getting something back and find out 10 years later. It's like, oh yeah, you didn't have your metadata right. Or, you know, you're your mastering was whatever and you're this or that, right? And, and you, or you, you were too specific with your lyrics in certain cases for a particular opportunity. There's all these little pitfalls you got to know about. So it's just coming out, hearing the experts and it's free. It uh, doesn't cost anything. It saves you from hopping on a plane, having to fly into LA, getting hotel food, get, paying for the conference, you know, standing in line to shake someone's hand and listen to them in a, in a, in a um, you know, you can show up in your pajamas and just basically jump on Zoom and, and um, hang out, you know, with that and, and learn an incredible amount from the music supervisors. Yeah. And we'll have the, the link to that in the show notes then. Yeah. The most important part about this, Bobby, is, is uh, you know, showing people how they can actually connect to these people in real life, not fake life, but real life, like how you can really make it work. And uh, that, that has worked over and over and over again. And that's the biggest part of this, of the panel is I show them how to actually connect with the people that they're talking to. You can find out more about Chris's Music Supervisor Panel at rebrand.ly forward slash supervisor panel. That's rebrand.ly forward slash supervisor panel. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.